friends, welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. There's a recurring theme in the healthcare projects I've worked on lately, from kidney health to community health, around the importance of treating the whole person. We're not just a collection of ailments and systems, after all. We're complicated creatures whose health is influenced by everything from genetics to social context to how much sleep we're getting. When healthcare providers get this, they serve us better, eradicating disease, not just managing symptoms. Listening to Ofer Levenger, our Senior Director of Business Unit Operations, and Adam Bishop, our Director of Information Security, talk incident response, it's intriguing to hear that this principle holds true for modern cybersecurity as well. Businesses, like bodies, are complex systems ruled by human choices and behaviors, however much we may like to think of them as organized, dispassionate machines of industry. So when a cyber attack comes, and it will come, says Levenger, community leadership has a lot more to think about than just the IT implications. From managing employees' anxiety to data retrieval to damage control for clients and shareholders, handling the fallout of a cyber attack ought to engage the whole business organism's immune system. So what do we do while we wait? Strengthen our collective security muscles, learn to work across silos, this is the silo-busting podcast after all, and get vaccinated. Hi, Ofer. Thank you so much for joining us today on on the Incident Response Podcast. It's It's great to have you. Hi, Adam. Pleasure to be here. Uh, hi, everybody. So it's uh, it's exciting times for White Hat. Uh, we learned a lot about uh, your your offerings and and what you bring to the EPM family. Um, you know, maybe before we dive in, I'd I'd love to hear your take on really what's been the biggest adjustment uh, going from kind of this the small you know uh, company to to this big organization. What what's been what's been the most surprising? I, I would say. I don't know if to say surprising, but you know, it's it's, it's quite a change from being a small compact uh, company, moving small, moving fast, being agile uh, to a much more large organization. I told uh, Sharon that you know, Ipam is uh, I don't know fifty six thousand employees, and now fifty six thousand and sixty. So we're probably making a change here. But uh, yes, it's moving. To, you know. Um, more slow, slow motion, uh, moving organization. So it takes time to adapt and new way of doing business. Uh, but all in all, excited. This is what we, you know, we did it willingly. Yes, yes. I, and I think any, none of those things were are, are so much, you know, unforeseen. It, it kind of comes with the territory. But I can tell you for us, super excited that those those uh, 60 some odd people that you bring uh, you know, in, into the into the bigger picture are certainly a big force multiplier, especially for the size of the organization. So, super excited. Um, would you say Israel is really a special place uh, when it comes to like that? You know, that pipeline for cybersecurity talent. Uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm clearly not um, so. Uh, you know, I'm a bit biased here, but uh, yes, <laughs> the short answer is yes. I believe that you know because of the situation. Of Israel in general, without going into politics, uh, uh, the, the, the way we do service in the army uh, and the challenges that we are facing, definitely putting Israel in the center of, of, of things. And, and you know, uh, being honest and looking on the last, I would say, four weeks, what happened in Nasdaq, uh, um, so many high-tech company and cyber company from Israel uh, uh, doing it. So, yes, I, I, Israel is certainly have something here, something unique uh, happening uh, that brings value to everybody. Uh, uh, but yes, I think we have something special uh, going in Israel. Yes, I know that when I talk to a lot of my counterparts here, um, 
I asked them about, you know, what, what do you think is the, the best place to, to source that kind of talent for, you know, cybersecurity and, and offensive security skills? And Israel is the first thing that comes to mind. And um, I know when I think about it, uh, I got excited just thinking about the food. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to come over there soon and we can we can yeah. try some some of that great Israeli food. You know what I mean? You must. And the food is really awesome. No complaints here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what I need. Okay, well let's let's get to the topic. We're we're talking today about about incident response, which which is sometimes um, not really thought too much about. Uh, and in fact, a lot of times it's just a, a box that gets checked because we have to do this as as organizations, you know, big large organizations, publicly traded. You know, everybody has to have some sort of uh, resilience program built in. But it seems that we've been working on this capability for decades. I mean, the concept has been around forever, but yet it seems things aren't really improving. In fact, if you just go off of the headlines, what we're hearing about these massive data breaches, it almost feels like things are getting worse. Um, why, why do you think it is that, that companies aren't necessarily better prepared for these incidents when they actually hit? A great question, Adam. I think it starts with perspective. What uh, incident uh, response is and who is responsible for it. And unfortunately, uh, many companies still today, as you said, it's happening all the time. It's not even a question of when incidents do happen. And, and, and you know, the frequency is, is really is, is crazy. Uh, uh, but most of companies still look at, at incident response as the uh, as CISO problem, not at the organizational problem. It's not a business problem. It's the IT department problem or the CISO problem. And of course, that's not the, the truth about it. It's completely a business uh, issue, which related to the business, to the branding. But most companies do look at the incident response as part of the CISO problem. So let those guys in the IT department or, or those crazy guys that always put us in scare uh, handle the issue. So nobody really looks into it or care about it. And even most of the company looks at incident response readiness as expenses. It's not something related to risk handling or, uh, or, or keeping the brand uh, moving. So I think this is one aspect that, you know, it didn't get too much attention or understanding. Most companies on the other hand don't understand that incident response is not only a technical issue. If it happens, when it happens, it's not only the domain of the uh, technical uh, uh, department. So, uh, Unknowing that, they, they leave it to them, and, and, and still things are, are happening. Sure, yeah, it's not it's not really sure where uh, that that responsibility lies, and and it sounds very familiar to to the story of who owns you know cybersecurity or information security from several years back, uh, which which traditionally started as a technology problem, and then as as we've matured over the years, uh, we realize that you know. The, the CISO doesn't necessarily have to report to the CIO. And, and you see this, you know, reporting to the, to the chief operations officer or chief risk officer, depending on the nature of the business. And, and certainly uh, incident, incident response, I think, spans, spans those functions, you know, many different functions across, across the company. Um, it seems to me like that's a big fallacy when, it, when you think about incident response, you know, people pin this on the CISO, they pin it on uh, technology or security operations, when in fact, there's, there's all these other organizations that play a role. Do you, would you agree? Is that, is that a big, uh, is that kind of one of the missteps that you think we're seeing in the industry where, when it comes to where people think the problem lies and, and they think of it compartmentalized within one organization? 
Definitely. And from our experience, we're handling many cases over the year, dozens of cases, unfortunately. Uh, and we, when we come into organization and we start to work, we're not only covering the technical part, because this is the obvious one, but an incident happened. What do you tell the employees? What do you tell uh, the, your clients? What do you do with them? Uh, uh, what do you do with regulations and authorities? And, and, you know, there's so many aspects to incident response, not only part of them are related to the technical issue and handling the case. Uh, what do you do with your, your insurance? So actually, when a ha case happens, it starts with the CEO. It, it starts with the legal department, with the PR department, with the financial department, and of course, yes, the IT department and the CISO department. And I think this is something that many companies do miss today. Uh, simple question, you know, your organization is down, nothing is working, okay? And you need your technical guys to work on it. What do you tell your employees? If you don't handle the employees, what happens, your employees start telling stories outside and you're out of control. And employees are part of your PR when an incident happened. So you need to have a story and you need to have the right story because if you tell the wrong story, you get the wrong, the, the wrong spill out outside to the communication, to, uh, to newspaper and so on and, and, and the social uh, um, uh, uh, platform as well. So you need to cover many aspects. Only part of them are related to the uh, technical issue, and many companies do not understand it, do not address it in advance. And I will, you know, finally say, there's, you can be prepared for incidents. So it's not, you know, it happens and then we'll improvise. It's almost impossible to improvise right when an incident is coming because the pressure on the organization is high. Um, Imagine yourself as CEO coming to his, his office in the morning, uh, opening his computer, there's nothing there. But when I mean nothing, nothing, and nothing everywhere. No phones, uh, no emails, nothing. I don't know the balance. I cannot answer the phone. I cannot answer my clients. You know, you are in so, in so a lot of pressure. So it's very hard for you in that particular moment to work in a cool mind, open the well-prepared incident response a book and, and play by it. So if you don't do it in advance, yeah, it's a bad starting point for handling any incident. Something that's changed over time is how attackers are getting in. Um, I, I know that we hear about new techniques. Uh, you know, zero days used to be the thing that you'd always hear about. And now, now you're hearing about leveraging techniques that kind of use you know, processes, executables, libraries that are present on the machines, you know, present in the native Windows patch, uh, you know, builds. What, what's your take on those techniques? You know, are the old and traditional defenses still effective against those kinds of means? Um, great question, Adam. Uh, first, I, I would say, no, it's not that they are not, uh, you don't need those, okay? You need what you're doing. Uh, you need the, the firewalls and the WAF and all the stuff because uh, it, it does do some work, but the bad news is it's really doesn't, it's not enough today in those days. And you mentioned it right, hackers, the way hackers work today, uh, the techniques they are using are changing and changing dramatically in the last, I would say, uh, year or so. And exactly as you pointed out, uh, hackers are trying to avoid the walls that the defenders are putting in front of them. And the new techniques that are, are, are working around, which we call living of the land, meaning we use what you have in order to carry out an attack. So if you're using Windows, I try to find out uh, 
Windows files, the alerts, executable that I can use to my own benefit, so-called, meaning carry out a, a, a malicious act. And it's not vulnerabilities, okay? Uh, for example, I will use Outlook to send and receive email, which is, you know, nothing wrong about it, but I will use that ability that the emails will carry out something uh, that shouldn't have bypassed any of your defenses. So the problem with those kind of attacks that the def today's defenses tool are looking at those uh, living of the land application as a legitimate application because, you know, Outlook is there, sending and receiving mail, you know, legitimate uh, uh, operation. So for me, it's okay. So this is what uh, hackers are doing today. And that's the reason why doing the usual stuff you've been doing, and even if you are an ACE organization, doing good hygiene, doing all your checkups and uh, penetration tests for any application coming up, uh, your GRC, everything is okay. For me as a hacker, I don't mind. I'll find my way to the living of the land to carry out uh, the attacks. And we see that a lot. We see that a lot. So many of the attacks are not vulnerabilities. Uh, living of the land attack, using what you have to carry out a successful uh, attack, leaving the defense there is really uh, without any response or ability. Yes, they, I, and I know the team has, has done some great work around research based on some of the techniques and binaries used in living off the land. Um, yeah, I think, I think this is a real problem, and we need to start thinking about ways to detect that kind of stuff more on a behavioral basis. Um, but you had mentioned a good point, you know, the hygiene. So uh, we, we've often seen the, the, the metrics that, you know, a lot of companies aren't really doing good hygiene. And, and if you just get to that point, you're, you're down the right path. Um, but I would say, you know, if the company's compliant, has your basic blocking and tackling in place, it doesn't sound like that necessarily means you can you can really sleep at night anymore, does it? Because there's there's so much more um, in in the realm of what can happen, even with those basic measures in place. You really have to take it a step further and look look beyond when it comes to building a, a good incident response strategy. Isn't that right? Definitely. And and you know, if you have a CISO that sleeps good at night, you have a problem because I'm not familiar with too many CISOs that <laughs> can sleep good at night. And and, and you hit it right. Uh, it's definitely not enough, and you need to move from the, uh, you know, pro to reactive from the reactive perspective to the proactive uh, way of doing things because the hackers are moving and moving fast, and you need to catch up and, and move fast with them. And as we you mentioned before, uh, we have our eye of the enemy servers that allows our customers, on one hand, to be. Uh, uh, align with ha what's happening in the attacker's world, including living of the Lang attacks. But the good news is that uh, alongside giving them the ability to check if they are okay, once you find you have a problem, we also provide the vaccine, the solution that helps your organization to block that specific technique that you just uh, uh, saw. So we're helping you uh, take your uh, defenses uh, uh, a notch uh, a higher, uh, to address those new uh, um, attacks and new techniques that the hackers are using. Uh, we are constantly moving with the hackers, uh, understanding what they are looking for, how they act, and uh, allowing you to react to that uh, proactively. Yeah, that, that's definitely the way to, to really look at it. Um, so, you know, I, I know we, we hear a lot in the defensive side of the house on, you know, 
architecting security uh, with more of a, you know, not so much focused on a perimeter basis, but more on the basis of zero trust. And this is a, this is a big trend in, in the industry, of course, and it can mean a lot of different things, but uh, you know, where you, where you draw that boundary of trust, whether it's on at the user level and authentication and uh, inherently, you know, on a device or, or within a, within a network or even within a workload nowadays um, with, with cloud native automations and things like that. But it sounds like uh, on, on a whole n- another level, when we're talking about these methodologies of attacks that are really going to bypass a lot of these traditional-based um, alerting mechanisms, I, I guess you have to now, you know, not only trust, you know, the, the device or the network, but you can't trust the, you know, the fact that there's no alerts. So, so if I wake up in the morning and I see that my dashboard is relatively clean, uh, not a lot of alerts hitting, that really doesn't mean I can trust that to mean there's no compromise. Um, again, I, I agree with that. And first, you know, zero trust, uh, not only as a solution, but a state of mind is the, really a good step forward because it means because most of the problems we find today in incidents that someone had a trust somewhere uh, and that trust was, you know, uh, betrayed. So if you do, if you take it to extend and you do full zero trust, which is very hard, almost unachievable, you do eliminate uh, some uh, threats that's still happening. And because uh, events are not one dimension, okay? We, today, hackers, uh, and you know, you as a non-hacker guy can log in into a chat group of hackers and buy attacks by money. You pay. Uh, most of the attack you buy are simple ones. So basic stuff and good hygiene and zero trust will block them. And back to your point, if you come back in the morning and you see that your alerts are clear, it doesn't mean that any did something didn't happen in your organization. And that comes with threat hunting. Threat hunting allows you to constantly look at the organization to see if something wrong is happening, even though no alerts were flagged in. Uh, and we talked about living of the land before. So most of the time, living of the land acts will flag nothing. So threat hunting, that could be something that you do uh, uh, on top of other things to see if your organization is safe at the moment and nothing suspicious is running out there. Sure. So, so a lot of different follow-up, uh, you know, certainly on all, on all phases of the life cycle here from the attacks perspective, a lot of moving parts. Um, it, it seems like this, this is a very specialized area, you know, a lot of different disciplines brought to the table, a lot of different roles and, and uh, responsibilities within the organization. You know, I can't help but but say this reminds me of of this uh, this movie uh, that that I've seen that had a quote uh, talking about a, a hostage situation in the movie, and they were trying to extract the hostages from from these these terror you know these terrorists that had captured them, and they, and they said you know in a lot of ways hostage exfil is a lot like a root canal. Uh, you don't want to do it yourself. And I, I can't help but think of the parallels to this, where so many organizations, they, they spin up uh, a, you know, a small group that meets once a quarter, they do a tabletop exercise, and they, and they, they call it a day. But you know, I, I can't help but think that so many things uh, that are in the rule book sort of go out the window when you're, when you're really in, in the throes of an incident, and, and it's just a different world. Um, what, can you talk about any of the real-life examples um, you know, uh, not not mentioning necessarily specific names and things like that, but what have you seen in the past, and and how is life during an incident actually different? Um, sure, I'll try to, you know, generally speaking, uh, uh, 
one Saturday we got a call from an organization saying, guys, it looks like uh, three of our servers are not coming up. Uh, can you check it out? Uh, the bad news uh, that 30 minutes after that, it was three uh, 3,000 servers not going up, and the whole organization was down literally one week before an APO. So, and when I talked to the, 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 the CEO, you, 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 you can imagine how stressed he was. And, and it, it's very hard to think. I think I, I've talked about it earlier. In that situation, really, you are paralyzed, you are in shock, and you, you're gasping for air. And I know what should I do? How I do that? Because you have nothing, okay, nothing. And and to your call, you need experts. You need people that already handle those cases. They know all the dimension of handling that case and can bring order to that chaos. And you know, handling all the dimension that we uh, talked about them earlier, from the technical parts, who is doing what, from the PR, from uh, uh, talking with the uh, threat actors, uh, ha helping you and guiding you regarding PR and, and what you told the employees and what you do with the, with the law enforcement and so on and so on. So you need people that have the practice, been there. And we, everybody knows, you know, uh, reading something and, and, you know, training for something isn't like the real thing. And, and people need to, to know that. Uh, the good news, uh, we at Whitehead, we have huge experience in real events. Uh, so when we come up to a client, we help him cover all the layers and we bring on all the experience that we are gathering and the everyday experience that we have uh, to get him as fast as can, as safely as can of the situation and back to business. This is what we do. So there's a huge gap between, you know, reading the book and doing it in real life. And this is what we help our clients uh, uh, in those crucial mo uh, moments. Yeah, that that that's really well said. I I think that uh you know there's a lot to be said for just sort of having security in theory and certainly, you know, we're talking about resilience from incident and, you know, incident response in theory versus in practice. And there there's a certain muscle memory that you have to develop that just doesn't come naturally any more than becoming, you know, uh, this, this championship bodybuilder just comes naturally, right? Without without hitting hitting the gym or or becoming a a, a fighter, a world class boxer, without getting in the ring and, and taking a few punches, it, it really, it really, you know, resonates. And I, I feel I can't help but think that the industry we know has changed, even just from a business standpoint, uh, where security lands now within the organization from an accountability, where incident response lands, and all the different non technical organizations that that play a role in this. But but it seems like you know if we don't evolve equally with our incident response planning and capability, we're, we're, we're a little bit on a glide path to, to a little bit of a disaster, uh, I would say. Does that, does that sound fair? Um, completely. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge to everybody, to us, to be the keeping pace. Uh, this is what we do. Uh, and, but the organization need to know that they need to move as well. Otherwise, in, in, unfortunately, in, in real life, if you don't push forward, you lose the game. And in, 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 in incident response, losing the game is losing the business. So, uh, yes, I agree. So, sounds great. Well, Ofer, th this has been tremendously insightful. I think, I think this is an area that, that does often get overlooked uh, amidst the, the plethora of shiny new tools and, and, and defenses that we have on the marketplace uh, that are kind of thrown at us on a day-to-day. -day. We can't lose sight of the importance of just 
basic incident response planning, uh, partnering with the right expertise and capability to do, you know, cover all the bases, which is very tough to do. Let's just face it on your own. Um, in, in closing, I know the team has done a lot of research. Uh, they're, they're constantly involved and in, in doing threat intelligence. And, and you have a lot of insights in this space. I would love to hear your thoughts on what do you think we're going to see or, you know, new things or continue to see maybe the same things as, as we look forward, you know, perhaps for the remainder of this year and on. Uh, what do you think the trends are going to be? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm 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 not foreseeing the future. Uh, I'm not a prophet, but I would say that yes. On one hand, you you will we will see uh, what we see today a lot of ransomware. Why? Because it's easy, not because it's the most sophisticated way. But I do believe that uh, things will change. Everybody is working remotely, and it doesn't look like it's going to be to change dramatically. So the attack surface is is, is really uh, broader and wide. So yes, we can see we would see new techniques. We saw some of them um, uh, in SolarWinds and the latest Microsoft issue, uh, getting into the DevOps cycle of the development of a product and then publishing it uh, with a product. Uh, so this is a new thing, very hard to stop. This is one thing that uh, we can see uh, living of the land, uh, of course. So the, the bad news, yes, the attackers are always moving. Um, um, and, and we will see it a lot. I don't believe much in AI solution and uh, stuff like that, because by the end of the day, anything you throw up the attackers, they do it before you. So they use AI to do the attack, not only to defend themselves. So I think this is a lost uh, cause on, on that manner. But, you know, yes, more attacks, uh, not only the simple one. Um, unfortunately, this is the future. So we still have uh, our work cut out for us. Well, over <laughs> again, it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for for these wonderful insights on on incident response. And uh, I know I speak for the team and the whole family at EPAM to say that we certainly look forward to continuing to work with you and and the fantastic team and and strength that you bring over with White Hat as we uh, continue to evolve our our security status and and posture. So thank you, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you, Adam. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Ofer Levenger and Adam Bishop for their great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palellas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to schedule a checkup. <laughs>